0: this is the day that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad in it it is indeed a blessing, a privilege an honor to be able to worship the Lord our God on this Lord's day turn with me or swipe your Bibles to Matthew, chapter number 2. While you are turning there, I want to give you one more reminder that we are blessing our missionaries during this season. And so we invite you to go online and give to bless our missionaries We also ask that you will respond to Emily's email from last week. Send a note of encouragement to our missionaries as well. Matthew chapter number two. Verse number one. Let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, a wise man from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. The word of the Lord, thanks me to God. This morning, we'll talk to you from the thought, O oh, come, let us adore him. Last month, 150 million plus people voted for the choice of who would be president of the United States. Those 150 million that I'm counting had a choice of two men, two very different men, two men with very different platforms. Two men to choose from to be the leader of these United States of America. Out of those two, 150 million plus people chose one. They approved of one and rejected the other. This was a historical election just based on the number of people who voted. This was for some, some would say this election may changed the course of history in the United States of America. And even till today, the winner of the election is being disputed by some. Though this was an historical election, There was a choice of two men over 2,000 years ago. There was a historical choice to be made by men, women, boys, and girls between two kings. And that's where we find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 2. A choice of two kings. And by the end of this message, the question that will need to be answered by all men is this Which king will you serve? Let's look at Matthew chapter 2 together and let's see what the Lord has to say to us. Look with me, first of all, at the search. For the king, the search for the king, and as we look at the search for the king, there's two things I want to show you. First of all, let me show you the revelation of the newborn king. Our text tells us that the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. We know they came from the east. The English Standard Version has chosen to translate from the east as from when the star rose. They say the star when it rose, but in their original language is the star. They saw the star from the east. And when these wise men arrived in Jerusalem, they asked, where is he? who has been born King of the Jews. And they inform those in Jerusalem that they know he's been born because they saw his star when it rose. A couple of questions immediately arise from these verses. Who were the wise men? And what's the deal with the star? Who were the wise men? The wise men, in other translations, are called magi. They were advisors to kings, and their advice was based on observation and study of the stars. Thus, these men were astrologers. And several scholars believe they came from Babylon, though we cannot be sure. And since they are Magi, and since they came from the East, we know they are not Jews, but Gentiles." That's a little information about the wise man. What about this star? Many suggestions have been made about what this star actually was. Some say it was a comet. Others say, It was some type of planetary conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter was thought to be the royal planet and Saturn was thought to represent the lands in the West. Another option that scholars have put forth is a nova or a supernova. The truth is, We don't know what this star actually was. What we do know is that it was some type of astrological phenomenon sent by God. But still the question we have to ask is why did they call this star his star? Again, we cannot be 100% sure, but the assumption is that these wise men had a copy of Old Testament scriptures. It may have been a partial copy or a full copy. It is more likely that they were informed about Hebrew scriptures if they were in Babylon since there was likely a Jewish remnant in Babylon from the time of the exile. And if these wise men had a copy of Hebrew scriptures, then they would have been familiar with Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Here's how it reads. A star Shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. This verse in Numbers 24, verse 17, predicts that a messianic ruler will come from Israel and bring victory over their enemies. Thus, some scholars believe the wise men are referring to this passage when they say they saw his star when it rose. Now that we have some background to our passage, the question now that has to be answered is, what is the significance of the star in these wise men? Well, what we can be sure of is that this star is a form of general revelation from God. General revelation is revelation available to all men at all times. God reveals that a king has been born by way of creation, which is a form of revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Why does this matter, preacher? Because what this teaches us is that no one can come to Christ on their own. God has to first reveal something about Christ to people. Beloved, see, left on our own, we will never pursue Christ. So God, in his infinite grace and mercy, pursues us and reveals Christ to us. However, take note from our text that general revelation is insufficient to actually bring us to Christ. Let me show it to you. The wise men go to Jerusalem because that's where one would expect to find the king of the Jews. Yet they don't know where he actually is to be born. They don't come in contact by way of general revelation. They have to go and ask, where can I find Christ? And so they meet Christ by way of special revelation in the form of Holy Scripture. It is the word of God that reveals to them how to find Christ. And they are told that Christ is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And like the wise men, what we see from our text is that sinners can only find Christ by way of special revelation. Men have to hear and respond to the gospel, which is special revelation. These wise men put faith in God's word evidently because they eventually head to Bethlehem. Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It is by hearing the word, the gospel, that men are saved and receive faith To believe the gospel. So what we see in these first couple of verses is God's sovereignty in salvation. It is God who takes the initiative. It is God who reveals to the wise man and to us. It is God who gives faith to believe. God is sovereign from beginning to end in in order for men to be saved. But not only do we see salvation, we also experience the grace of God in that he thought enough to reveal and lead these men to Christ. That's the revelation of the newborn king. Now look with me at the reactions to the newborn king, the reactions to the newborn king. Look first with me at how his own people React to the news of this newborn king, the people. Verse 3 says that Herod the king and all Jerusalem were troubled. When Matthew writes all Jerusalem, he's referring primarily to the Jewish people, which were the people of Jesus Christ. And that word trouble means to be disturbed, unsettled, alarmed. Why? Why? would they be alarmed? Huh, because Herod was alarmed. See, well, here's what you got to understand about Herod. This is Herod the Great. Herod was crazy, y'all. His nickname was literally Mad Herod. He, he was a very insecure man. For example, his paranoia was so bad that it led him to have his favorite wife, he had 10 of them, God bless him, he he, he had his favorite wife executed. And here's why. Because she argued too much. (laughs) My Lord, I won't even tell y'all what I'm thinking. Watch it, watch it. Not only this, Mad Herod, had two of his own sons executed because he suspected they were jockeying for his position as ruler of the kingdom. So to the Jews, if Herod is alone, no telling what he may do as a result. But let's look a bit closer at how they actually respond or, or react to the news of this newborn king. When Herod inquires about the birthplace of Christ, the text says, watch it, that the chief priest and scribes of the people respond by telling him that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And that's all we are told about these religious Jewish leaders. Watch this. They know the facts about the Messiah, but they don't do anything with those facts. They fail to act. And I would say they responded apathetically. Man, well, that means they were indifferent. And I wonder if some of us are like these people. Are we apathetic to Christ? It's so sad how many people in the church know so much about Jesus and still don't care. People tune in to live streams, pack pews every Sunday, yet live as if there is no king upon the throne. Yeah. That's how the people respond. But there's another response in our text. Let's not only look at the people, let's look at the powerful. Let, let, let's look at the reaction, the response of the most powerful person in Jerusalem, King Herod himself. The text says he's alarmed. Why? Go back to verse 2. Look at verse 2. I'll, actually, I want you to look at it with me. Here's what it says. The Magi asked this question, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? See, here's what you have to know about Herod. Herod was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, which means that he was not a rightful heir to the throne as he was not a son of David. Herod was placed on the throne by Rome in 39 B.C. and was crowned king of the Jews. So what we see then is Herod was made king of the Jews, but Jesus is born king of the Jews. So once Herod finds out that the Christ was born in Bethlehem, he tells the wise men, go to Bethlehem. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And let's just be honest, this is an outright lie. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to get rid of Jesus. Why? So he can protect his throne. So if the people respond, how did I say they respond? What's the A word I used? There you go. Apathetically then Herod responds antagonistically. That word antagonistic, it means hostile or to act in opposition. Here's what I'm trying to say. Herod sees Jesus as a threat. Jesus is a threat to his throne, his power, his rank, his status, his wealth, and his reputation. I wonder this morning, how many of us are just like Herod? How many of us see Jesus as a threat? See, we see Jesus, we won't admit it, but we see Jesus as a threat to our own little thrones. See, here's the thing. If Jesus is king, then that means we are not, and that's a threat to most people. Because we want to be in control of our own lives. We want to be in control of our own destiny. We want to run our own lives, do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, where we want to do it. So Jesus being king is a threat. else is Jesus a threat? You see, Jesus requires us as followers of him to deny ourselves. But truth be told, we'd rather be full of ourselves. Jesus is a threat to some because Jesus himself declared uh, that he is the truth. Why is that a threat? Because that, that makes him a threat to my truth and your truth. Jesus requires his followers to live righteously, but we want to live according to our own desires. Is Jesus a threat to you this morning, friend? There's another response that happens in verses 9 through 12. And this brings me to my second point, the submission to the king. We've looked at the search for the king. Let's look now at the submission to the king. The wise men, after Herod tells them to go to Bethlehem, they listen to him and they run to Bethlehem. Well, literally, they probably rode a camel. But as they go, they are led by the star again. And finally, the star rests over the place where Jesus is. Before we look at their response, let's remember... Who these wise men are. Remember I told you earlier, they are not Jews, they are Gentiles. More than that though, they are pagans. Now, let's look at how these pagan Gentiles respond to the king. First, the text says they respond to with great joy. Once the star rests over the place where Jesus is, it says they had great joy. Why? Because they had found the king. Beloved, I'm convinced that this is the way all of us should respond. We should respond with joy, for the Lord has come. So then let earth receive her king. Beloved, I think this text helps us this morning in a special way. Because even in the midst of this pandemic, the text tells us that we have a reason to still have joy. Even with all that's happened in 2020, the text tells us we still have a reason to still have joy. Why? King Jesus has come. King Jesus is on the throne. Let me see if I can go back home real quick. There used to be an old gospel song that said, after all, after everything I've seen, I still, still have joy. And then the verse said, through the storm, through the rain, through the heartaches, yes, and the pain, thank God I still Still have joy. And the truth be told is that there are people on this stream. You have every reason this morning not to be joyful. You've got sickness. You've got unemployment. You've got strife in your home. But the text tells us that if you've got Jesus, you can still have joy. They respond with joy. But not only do they respond with joy, but here's most important. They respond with worship. When you study the Bible, remember I tell you, repetition is key. And we see this phrase three times. And this short phrase is, worship him. Happens three times in our text. Worship him. I think it's verse 2, verse 8, and verse 11. Worship him. Matthew is doing something intentional here. He's trying to show us that the proper response to this king is worship. The people respond apathetically. The powerful king responds antagonistically. The pagans respond adoringly. When they find Jesus, when they see Jesus, they fall down prostrate and worship the king. Beloved, this is amazing. Here's why I think it's amazing. Remember, these wise men are not Jews. They are Gentiles and they are pagans. So what makes them so amazing is that the first people to worship Jesus in the book of Matthew are not Jews but pagan Gentiles. Matthew is telling his reader that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews but he's the Savior of the world. He came to save Jews and Gentiles. And beloved, what this tells us is the gospel is good news for all people. It's for the least and the greatest. Matthew will show us in this gospel that the, that, that, that the gospel is good news for people like a Samaritan adulterer, like an immoral prostitute, like an unethical tax collector, like an ostracized leper. These were the least likely candidates of God's love, yet God's love extended even to them. So question, question, are you a Gentile? Are you a sinner? Well, I came this morning with good news, and here it is. The king of the kingdom of heaven can reach even you. These wise men adore Jesus Christ, and they submit to him as king. But Matthew wants us to see also is that this king is worthy of worship. Beloved, he's God. Not only is he God, but he's God with us. And not only is he God with us, but he's God in us. And but not only is he God in us, he's also God. For For us, He's our Savior. He's our Lord and Master. And I'm just trying to show you that just because of who He is, He's worthy of our worship. They worship Him not only with their bodies as they fall down, but they also worship Him with their gifts. Don't turn your live stream off now. The text says, but they open their treasure chest and they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were all luxurious gifts fit for a king. And I think what this helps us to see is that since Jesus is king, we should honor him as a king, we should bring gifts to King Jesus. Now, 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 let me make sure you don't misunderstand my point here because some people say, you know what, I'm gonna give Jesus my time. For the record, it's not your time, it's his. He's the creator of time. You are a steward of his time, so you can't give something to him that he created. This is an act of homage to a king. So people say, well, rather than give actual from my substance, my money, I'm going to give my time instead. These wise men had already given their time. They came all the way from Bethlehem, from the east. Then they got to Jerusalem. Then they went to Bethlehem. They had already given their time. So they didn't substitute time for wealth. They had already used their time in search of the king and in submission to the king. Let let me just pastor for a moment and then we'll get out of here. When the Bible talks about being generous and giving, it's not saying substitute giving of your money for giving of time. You ought to do both. don't, Don't turn off your live stream. You need to hear this. They give from their wealth. And so during this season, while we are giving, we too must be people who give to God. Here's a Merry Christmas. If you really want to celebrate Christmas, give to Jesus. How do I give to Jesus? He's not here. His body is the church. The body of Christ. Let's, let's just think about it. I have gone all off script. Let's just think about how we treat Christmas. We spend all of our money buying gifts for our bad kids. Oh, not, I'm, not just. <laughs> kids who will enjoy it one day and break it the next day. We spend all year, some spend all year saving for Christmas. Some will go and get a loan to get gifts for their children. Some will go in debt. But what do we do for Jesus? (sighs) Giving is an act of worship and people of God. Let's worship the king like he deserves to be worshipped. Worship team, y'all come back. So how then do we respond to Jesus? We must submit to Jesus as king. And there's somebody maybe on this live stream that needs to hear this. The way you submit to Jesus as king is by denouncing yourself, uh, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You submit to him by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. You submit to Jesus believing that Jesus died in your place on a cross for your sins. And that same Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. But that same Jesus, he's no dead king, he's a king that lives. Because he got out of the grave with all power in his hands. And when he got out, he said, all authority (laughs) has been given to him. And so somebody needs to submit this morning by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But all of us can submit. There are folks who are saved, know they're saved some of us, there are areas of our lives that we have not submitted to King Jesus. We're still doing it our way. And today, our text tells us,
1: shows us by way
0: of the wise men, that we need to submit every area of our life to King Jesus. How else should we respond? We should respond by worshiping the King. This king who is God. This king who is a who's the God man. This king who was born by way of a virgin. This king who is king of kings. He deserves our worship. So then let's the invitation to us during this season and at all times is to come and let us adore Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Forgive us for acting like the people and the powerful. Help us now to respond like the wise men. Worship Alone. So, Father, we worship you for you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name.